season five. What episode? We don't know, but it's okay. My name is Brandon Curry, and welcome to the first um, YouTube channel on the new Cryer Media Network, uh, where all 20,000 some odd of you uh, of our closest friends are here, and this is the first uh, stream on, the, on our YouTube channel. Um, this is amazing. Thank you very much to everyone and that made this uh, a go. Uh, my name's Brandon Curry. Where, there he is. I'm there Jeff Collins. I'm Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. And uh, we've got some familiar guests. Uh, well, one familiar guest to, uh, to our, loyal, our loyal fans. Um, and also to uh, one brand new guest uh, who's really SMRT, much smarter than us. And that's why we are the Professional Insight Podcast. Mr. Frank DiPietro, CPA, CA, and Mr. Mike Evans, who's the Vice President of National Sales for McKenzie Investments, who is a, a big partner of uh, our firm, CR Smith Financial, full disclosure. Um, and again, more disclosure. Uh, there's no, there's nothing, uh, no, nothing financial being exchanged. This is just purely for educational purposes um, because this team here knows a ton about a ton. So, so we want to make speaking, sure you don't have to declare a conflict if they're not greasing you. Right. So. Yeah. I just like to say it though. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, like, I just okay. like to just say, make sure it's, okay. you know, that's good. Yeah, get well, that out of the way lawyers, right, so. right off the bat. <laughs> that's right. Just get it out of the way. Right. For all those and that's why bond. <laughs> and that's why John, and that's why Josh is my lawyer because he makes sure I don't put my foot in it. That's pretty much it. Um, so, and thanks very much to our sponsors, Brand Boulevard, uh, Sink, Lich, really appreciate it. They've been uh, with us since day one. So thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, Mike Evans, Frank, welcome back. Thanks for having thank you very much. Hello, Frank. Brandon, great to be here, boys. This, uh, I, uh, I've heard a lot about you. I can't wait to experience the, uh, the show firsthand. This is going to be great. So um, when Frank was on last, he did a little bit of his background, which we'll get to again, just to remind all of our viewers again. Uh, but Mike, can we just start with your, a little bit of your background, Mackenzie, your role and that kind of thing. And, you know, just maybe a short career path for anyone that might is be watching and might want to be the, you know, vice president of national sales for a fairly large uh, mutual fund company yeah. in the future. Uh, <clears throat> quick clarification on the title, national sales initiatives is, uh, is my title. Ah. My bad. That's um, me. is is great. I've been I've been at McKenzie. I've been in financial services now for 32 years. I've been at McKenzie uh, that whole time. Joined back in 1990, and um, it, it's kind of an interesting journey. I thought you know I'd tell you a bit of a background story on me. You might see some interesting things in my background. There's a little you know rock sample up here with some some gold in it. I have uh, a geology and exploration background. So I've I was going to guess paleontology with the with well, the T Rex or something. Yeah, with the T Rex <laughs> model up there, that's kind of cool too. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, I uh, so way back when I've, I've been interested in trading stocks and in in investing my whole life since since I was a kid. And when I was at university, I took the securities course and thought, okay, when I get out, this is what I want to do. But I had people of influence in my family that were junior mining promoters that worked in, uh, in exploration and development of mining companies at a very grassroots level, which took me all over Northern Ontario. I've been to you know 
South Porcupine, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, all over the north and uh, Pickle Lake, Red Lake, been in plains that take you beyond where the, the roads end. And uh, it was funny, I was doing a, 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 a geological survey piece out in, uh, out in BC, Smithers, BC. And, you know, this is, this is young men's work, right? You're in the bush, you're trudging around, snowshoes, uncomfortable, lots of things. And this one particular day, I was I was out there, and I was uh, I was the generator guy. So we were doing these IP surveys where you you put electricity in the ground and you measure lots of things that that come from that. Anyway, I had what it, what's akin to a lawnmower motor on a backpack on my back with a generator coil to it. I had a gas can in one hand, I had an axe in the other, and I was climbing an icy cliff. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I could die doing this. I need to go back to Toronto and start working just with my brain. And um, so I survived that cliff climb and the rest of that project and and, and everything else and uh, came back and, and started uh, looking for opportunities in asset management and joined the industry's leader, McKenzie Investments, and have been there ever since. And um, my my roles have varied. I, I you know, was on the inside sales team. I was a wholesaler. I was an RVP managing wholesalers. And, uh, and now I've morphed into this role, guys, which I, I love because it allows me to kind of sink my teeth into and focus on areas of interest, like retirement, which we're going to talk about today, and partner with folks like Frank DiPietro and others within the organization who are wonderful resources to helping develop value-added services that McKenzie represents. And um, I, I love it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an area of tremendous growth and opportunity today as it was 32 years ago when I started. Give you a little little tidbit. When I started in the business, there was $25 billion in mutual funds in the entire country, right? 25. And McKenzie managed like half of that. Like it was, it was crazy, our market share. Wind the clock ahead. Today, there's $2 trillion in mutual funds and ETFs and so forth. And um, it's done nothing but grow and, and become more important and successful. And uh, it's an area of tremendous opportunity. So that's kind of my background and, and where I've come from, where I am, why I'm no longer climbing icy cliffs with lawnmower motors on my back and, uh, and why I see lots of potential, right? I think we've, we've only scratched the surface on, on where we can go. Don't you want to climb just one more cliff for old time's sake? I do occasionally, right? I do that at the cottage, but in a, in a far more safe fashion. You jump off into the lake, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Precisely right. My father now, started on uh, diamond drilling when he was 15. Oh, wow. I've done that. Oh, diamond yeah. drilling, core sampling, assay yeah. preparation. Like the, there's guys and gals out there yeah. that are drilling holes in the ground looking for stuff, right? That's yeah. at a grassroots level. That's what happens in yeah. Canada to develop some of these resources and that little rock over my shoulder has tons of vg visible gold in it it's a it's a great great little sample you sure it's not iron and it's pirate? funny and we <laughs> what's that i said you sure it's not iron pyrite oh I'm oh 100 <laughs> <laughs> fool's gold right and we uh <laughs> we also um and then quickly we found out while we were waiting to come on in, in back on the green room and you're one heck of a scotch aficionado which was so cool to have that like 
You're wow. an eclectic person, Mike. This is amazing. I was impressed. Brandon, I'll tell you what. I, I do know my scotch, and I told you the story about forming the Golfdale yeah. Scotch Club over COVID uh. to just find a way to kill time, right? But, you know, that's an impressive rail you've got behind you there. A nice, diverse oh, range of some of the best scotches, single malts in the world. So I think at some point we got to talk about that. And uh, I wish, <laughs> wish I had a picture of my, my shelf. It's pretty good, too. Maybe not quite <laughs> as good great. as that, but... And Frank, the brain hey who we've, I've known, well, how, we've known each other for wow. decades, you and I, right? Our families have been oh, like, yeah. we're pretty, we're, we're pretty tight. Oh yeah. Um, and thanks that. again for coming on. And thanks oh, again anytime. for coming on a couple months ago. Yeah. Well, it's really nice to have you on always. Great. Um, Thanks for having me as well. Frank, no, you got any great. interesting it's stories awesome. about, you know, death well, defying things that propelled you into uh, accounting? Any lawnmowers you know, on your what? back? We want to know. <laughs> no, yeah, what have you done that's the most dangerous? Listen, Brandon, you asked you asked uh, Mike to uh, do a brief introduction, and so if you're going to learn anything about Mike, uh, there's nothing brief. Uh, so you're gonna get <laughs> so, Guilty. Uh, Guilty. Yeah, yeah, but it's always great stories and great to listen to. Um, but yeah, no, no uh, mountain climbing for me. Uh, my my venture into this world was. Pretty straightforward. Coming from an immigrant family, my my dad had a brick lane business, and um, you know I thought maybe I'd take over the family business, but that, like most other business, he actually did not want me to take over the family business uh, because his back was broken by the time he was probably my age now. So he said, "You're going to go get an education and uh, work with your mind." So I said, "Finance and numbers and accounting." is sort of where my headspace is at. So I've been in uh, the financial services business for you know over 20 years now, uh, much of that with McKenzie and uh, in tax and estate planning and helping advisors uh, create more uh, tax efficient strategies and helping with their estate planning, which is becoming more and more important and helping with helping Canadians retire um, more tax efficiently as well. So that's a real brief introduction, reintroduction of myself. Well, and I just want to say uh, thanks again for coming on. And, you, you know, um, we do, honestly, our families have known each other for a couple decades. And I mean, yeah, I, I hang with your brother quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, it's great to have Mackenzie uh, as a partner and in our corner for, for you know, because as advisors, you just don't know everything, which is going to lead into my next question. And everyone on this panel too, because the four of us really want to know. And I don't know who wants to tackle this, but that's the the new home buyers plan that the federal government announced in their last budget for uh, going into for F2022, 20 F23 technically. And, but we haven't heard much about it. I think you guys have more of the inside track for that. And can you, who wants to tackle that? I uh, think they announced Frank it in August, right? Frank is our expert yeah. on all things yeah, tax related. So it was actually uh, budget 2022, which was released last April, that introduced yep. the introduced the concept um, and proposal to create this. They call it new home buyers. Let, let's let's clear. This is a completely different program than what already exists. Uh, was the home buyers plan that allows you to draw. Uh, $5,000 per individual from your RSP for purposes of purchasing your, your, your first home. Um, so in that case, what you're doing is essentially borrowing from your RSP and then 
uh, there's a requirement to pay it. You can't do that. There's no tax. You're not creating a tax liability when you take money out. That's one program that's still in place and available for Canadians. Uh, now, now, as part of a series of tax measures to address uh, the, the affordability crisis that we're, we're sort of in the midst of in, in Canada have been dealing with, uh, there have been a series of proposals. One of them being, you mentioned, a brand new uh, type of account that that Canadian, particularly uh, those who are uh, trying, trying to save for a down payment on the purchase of their phone, um, uh, account where individuals can can contribute um, and, and and create a savings plan to, to put towards the purchase of a first home, being defined as a first time savings, first home savings account or FHSA. Right, so we have RSPs, we have TFSAs, and now we have an FHSA that is being 22 to come come effective um, April first of 2023. So this is this is sort of, sort of uh, what the government says. Look, as of 20, as of April first, there. Canadians can now contribute to these plans. Um, speak, you know, this is our financial institution perspective. Everybody's kind of working hard in, in one uh, to try and get these established so that Canadians can contribute to them. So hopefully, you know, Mackenzie, as well as other financial institutions, be ready by April 1st of 2020 to be able um, to to contribute to. So, what is it? Um, so, like an RSP, the money you contribute to an FHSA is tax deductible, and as long as the money is inside this plan, it's tax deferred, meaning that there's no taxes on any of the investment income that's being generated uh, uh, within the plan. So that is the similarities with respect to an RSP. Uh, um, the idea as well is that if you use to put towards the purchase of your first home, um, then the money you take out of this new FHSA is going to be completely tax-free. So it's kind of a good deal, right? If you're somebody who's looking, uh, looking to save money to per, uh, for a down payment, you now have a plan that you can contribute to. The government will subsidize that by way of a uh, tax savings or tax deduction. Uh, and then you can take that money out down the road uh, when you're ready to buy your first home um, and take it out tax-free. That's unlike an RSP, which, you know, if you take money out, it's totally taxable. The so different, it's double. You're, du you're doubling up there, essentially, right? You really are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The government's going to give you a tax break. Yep. That's why I put it into RRSPs, right? For the most part, I, I try to max out my RRSP because I want right now my active income. I, I want to get that tax break, right? Exactly, exactly. But you know down the road with respect to your RSP, if you take it out, taxed. it's all taxable. Now, through the home buyer's plan, you can take it out tax-free, but the difference with the home buyer's plan is you have to repay it. 
So every year you're going to have to put a little bit of money back into your RSP okay. to pay it. So it's like you borrow from your RSP. This new FHSA, there's no requirement to repay it. So once you take it out and use it to purchase your, your home, uh, that's it. You close the account and away you go. So it's, it's, it's the government's way of trying to help Canadians um, deal with this affordability issue and help them you know, have a few extra bucks in savings and tax. Deductions. What was the cap? Was there a cap on it? Uh, so, yeah, sorry. So um, it is, in my view, uh, the cap is low. Um, so they've they've set it at a lifetime limit of $40,000. Um, and with an annual contribution limit of 8000 right? So the idea is that we're going to open this up in 2023, the maximum contribution limit for 2023 will be $8,000. Now let's say, you know, you have a client who, you know, we, we set up this account, they contribute 5,000 this year. Any of that contribution room that's not used can carry forward to the following year, much like your TFSA, right? So if you only contribute 5,000 in 2023, then in 2024, you have your an additional 4,000 plus the 3000 unused from 2023 so in 2024 you can contribute up to 11000 to your FHSA again so there's annual limits as well as this $40,000 uh lifetime limit now big question for me my eldest daughter is is 14 years old yeah i want to start i always like to try to plan well in advance <laughs> How early can we start taking advantage of investing money into this? I presume 18? Um, well, I mean, you want to think about, um, you know, one of the, one of the I guess, restrictions with um, this new account is that once you open up the plan, um, you, you have 15 years to use it. Okay. Right. Okay. So uh. think about a 15 year window, yep. first of all. Um, and my kid would be buying that house within that 15 years, come yeah. hell or high water. Oh, 18. 18. Buy <laughs> at 18. Hey, buy 18. That's right. So, well, and, and you make a good point. You can't set this up for a minor, right? So, a minimum requirement, they do need to be 18, right? So, to be eligible to open it up, you have to be, of course, a resident of Canada. Uh, you have yep. to be at least 18. The standards, right? And, and much like the home buyer's plan, you have to be considered a first time home buyer. Um, and it has essentially the same definition um, for the uh, FHSA than you do for the um, home buyer's plan, which essentially says that you either have to be a first time home buyer. So this is the first time you're purchasing, or if you <clears throat> have owned a home in the past, you or your spouse or partner cannot owned a home in the last four years. So there are cases where individuals have perhaps owned a home in the past, um, but for whatever reason, maybe haven't over the last uh, several years and, and may re-qualify for say your home buyer's plan or now this FHSA. So uh, to answer your question though, I mean, yes, you need to be at least 18, but you also need to ensure that you know, you've got this 15 year window that they're gonna is, it, is this per person too? So a husband and a wife could do it or right. a boyfriend and girlfriend could both do it at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. So it's per Combined. person. 
per person. And, and the other, I'll tell you um, one update, important, really important update. So when the legislation or proposal was made back in uh, April of last year in the federal budget, you know, uh, one of the things most people sort of hesitated at was there was a restriction that uh, you would either draw from your uh, uh, from your FHSA or from your home buyer's plan, but you couldn't do both. Yeah. Right. So if you got 40,000 in your FHSA mm -hmm. and you've got 35 in your RSP that you're going to use from for home buyers, uh, you know, you can only do one or the other, which kind of sucked. Right. Yep. So but but there was a, re a release of uh, legislative update back in November, which is part of the overall fall and economic up fall economic update um, where there was new legislation. So one of the changes in that legislation is that uh, Canadians will be able to uh, utilize both right so got rsps um and perhaps you now go through the process say for your daughter when she turns 18 you start yeah. uh you start building up your fhsa you start building up your rsp if and when she begins working and then down the road when it's time <laughs> to say buy home she will be able to draw 35 from her rsp and everything um, that has accumulated in her FHSA. So that could add up to quite a significant down payment um, on, on the purchase of her first home. And it is, you know, per individual. So down the road, if, you know, if there's a spouse or partner, then that's per individual, right? So now you can... What if you want to buy oh, a house a two couples, so four people up and down? Every individual. Every individual. There's no limit on that then. That's yeah, you insane. Can also, hey, Frank, That's insane. You, you could also throw in the TFSA, right? And uh, yep. there's dollars you could pull out and use for anything. So you put That's those right. three things together. That's a pretty significant uh, opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what happens if you hit that 15-year limit and you don't buy? Yeah. So um, then, then there's going to be a requirement to collapse, right? So this, this idea of, of having this money come out <clears throat> tax-free is only if you're purchasing uh, purchasing your, your first home. If that doesn't happen within the 15 years or just tax man cometh. Yeah. So then the withdrawals at that point, you know, the client is going to be forced to, to collapse that FHA and all that money uh, is going to be taxable. Everybody's got to take advantage of this. Everybody's got to take advantage of this. That's crazy. Now, if they in the market to purchase your first home. And if you would otherwise be considered a first home buyer, right? Like now, I'm, first myself, I'm not going to qualify. I'm not going to use it. So just but, to just to uh, recap, because it was a bit, there were some glitches there just to make sure that everyone uh, like here heard everything. So to recap, now. there's okay. a people can the first time home buyers plan uh, plan withdrawal from the RSP is still in place. Tax free savings account still in place. The the new home buyers plan or the first time home buyers whatever the acronym is yeah. that is being launched April of 2023 and it's like the TFSA and the RRSP had a baby. It's essentially you're taking the best of both accounts and you're allowed to have all three just firing in order to save. You have limits. Um, I love it. And then on top of that, here's a question from a financial planning perspective: Can you if you are the subscriber, meaning the owner of your own RRSP, uh, can you do a shelter transfer from the RSP into the first-time homebuyers? Because you might, in theory, you can have more than 35000 grow in that account, right? 
um, because of, there's no limit Growth. to the withdrawal. There's a limit to the contributions. Yes. Am I right? So you, you can do a transfer. You can transfer from your RSP to your this new FHSA, right? So okay. you can use your RSP to fund it, and that would be a tax tax free transfer from your RSP to uh, to your uh, FHSA. Um, but it's but it's individual, so it would have to be my RSP going to gotcha. my gotcha. FHSA. I can't fund I can't fund my daughters. Correct. Yeah, you can't. Gotcha transfer money from your RSP to your daughter's FHSA, right? But can I fund her? Yes. Account? So that's what okay. I was going to say. So, okay. um, but you know, you can give funds to your daughter who can then make those contributions. The government's been very clear either for your daughter, or even if it's a spouse situation, there's no, not going to be any such thing as a spousal uh, FHSA like there are with spousal RSPs. Um, and mm -hmm. we know there are rules that if we give our spouse money to, to contribute to an account or for savings, there's these nasty tax rules that'll always kind of hurt, hurt the person who's transferring the money. Um, but, but in this case with the FHSA, you can give spouse, uh, give your spouse money to contribute to his or her FHSA or to your kids to make their own individual contributions to their FHSA. Hey, Frank, so this brings up a great, you know, topic of conversation for us. And Brandon, you kind of kicked it off. Just what's the yeah. right thing for people to do? Say they've got some money this year, uh, they get a bonus at year end, they've got some capital and they're saving for a house, they want to do that. What's the best sort of order of operation or combination of strategies? Do they max out their RSP contribution, get their refund, top up their TFSA, then go to the FHSA as like the third? In in your overall opinion, what's the is there an optimal approach? I guess there's many ways yeah. to tackle it, but what do you think? Like what? Uh, let's yeah, rule been, it through for folks listening. Yeah, it's it's Any a question. Great question. It is. It is, and um, you know, I've started to think about that, right? Like, what's what's your best bet here? Do you FHSA? Uh, do you use your RSPs, the home buyers? FHSA, FHSA. the new account. It's got to be. Yeah. So, if if you have a client, for example, you know that one of their they're younger, they one of their primary objectives is you know they tell you that they want to save for uh, a home, their first home. FHSA has to be number one priority as opposed to RSP. You're going to get your tax deduction uh, regardless, which, by the way, maybe even if they're younger and have low income, um, you do have the flexibility to defer your deduction, right? So you can carry that forward and save it for a future year and deduct in the future if you expect your income to be higher in the future. But because of that tax deduction, I would say your FHSA would be priority number one. Um, followed by, you know, RSP, TFSA, right? Because the FHSA has the least restrictions. Your home buyer's plan, you've got to repay it back, um, yep. right? And, and that <clears throat> is a bit of a constraint for some who, you know, maybe for cash flow reasons, um, it's just simpler. If you know the money's there to to take. And the, to, big, uh, and the big difference, Frank, with the new FHSA is the fact that that's deductible against income. Right. Unlike yeah. the TFSA contribution where you can put you can max fund it, but you're not getting any kind of deduction. Um, exactly. You're getting that deduction because, you know, in the TFSA, you know, there's no deduction. 
So yes, you get the tax-free withdrawal, but you get that with the FHSA too. So in my view, the FHSA is the best of both worlds from, it's taken the best elements from RSPs and the best elements yeah. from the TFSA and combine them. So if somebody had 20,000, they made a hundred grand last year, they've got 20,000, they can uh, deploy. You're saying, all right, well, we'll max out the 8K into the FHSA, the new program. <laughs> then we're gonna top up the RSP. Yeah. Um, we're going to get a refund because of the deduction against uh, income that we can then put into the uh, TFSA, right? So exactly. you're kind of one, two, be, three, having them all aligned. That's right. Up, up, up. That's right. Unless you don't want to buy a house. Whoa, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, hey, even I if you're just, that. Yeah, if, you, if you don't want to buy the house, so let's say that was the case, then the contribution would go RSP, um, TFSA, TFSA, right? And you still, you've got the flexibility income. to change your mind and go, okay, I can use the RSP money to pull out and buy a home. And right. the TFSA money I can use to do anything I want. Yeah, but even the now, FH now, FHSA, even if you don't buy a house, you're taxed on it. But what's the tax consequences on it? Because you're still you, you're still enjoying tax-free growth for those years, right? Well, you'd be taxed on the growth, right, at the end of the day. Am I right, Frank? So basically your own capital could be pulled out. But any growth on the money would be then taxed at your marginal tax rate. So would that be more advantageous <clears throat> then than the RRSP? No. It wouldn't be. It all depends you, on, you, you on get, your tax you, bracket, right? Yeah. Well, it's you get your deduction for putting it in because when you pull out your RRSP, you got to pay your taxes as well, right? Well, I think so you can't. You're, Josh, you're, you've got a good point. I think you want to mm -hmm. do both. Odds are, you know, if you're so young, you're not sure whether you want to buy your, eventually you're probably going to want to buy your first home. So you want to be thinking about getting every advantage that CRA is going to give you. So top making those RSP contributions. Now this new first time home buyers, your TFSA yep. option. Those are your three buckets you want to get filled, right? And uh, you want to start early, stay committed, stay invested, and uh, and then make smart decisions later with what you've done in way of long-term planning. Well, and, and that's the thing. My, my like concerns, what you want to do my is concern it, it stems all, from... It, Go ahead, Brent. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I might be answering your question. So basically, it all depends on someone's tax bracket, right? There's no, like, anyone in their 20s, unless you're making well over $70,000 a year, this is a general rule. Uh, because the RSP, once you use that room, you lose it. Whereas the TFSA, you can withdraw, recontribute, and you get, those, you get that amount back. And the, so the tax deduction, this is pre-FHSA. So with the I will always lean someone to the TFSA because quite frankly, you that is going to be the most powerful investment vehicle in Canada um, for retirement. I mean, it has no income test uh, implications as of currently when it comes to OAS, GIS, anything of that nature. You get the money back. You're granted money. You don't have to earn the room. And you are keeping your RRSP open for later on in life when you do make the big bucks. And you need the tax deduction or in some cases, I have clients who tell me I want to buy multiple properties. Well, one's going to be a principal residence and the other others are going to be uh, uh, they're going to be subject to capital gains. And so this gives you the ability in the RSP room to take that taxable capital component and put that into your RSP to offset the tax implications, which I mean, I did myself full disclosure. So. It all depends. And and I think that key, the key is, and I think what we're, you know, showing here is you need 
if you're, you know, 35 and under, actually at any age, but specifically looking, this is the type of talent that's out there and you have to start looking for it. You can't just be walking into a financial institution, dealing with a teller, crossing your fingers and hoping it's done right. The amount of people that still come in today, the TFSA was started in 2009. The ignorance level on the TFSA is so bloody high. It's yep. so high. Oh, yeah. A lot of people, Brandon, people to getting... your point, people think it's an account you can only get at the bank in some cases. That Thank it's you. It's some sort of just savings account that you can't really do any effective long-term investing and saving. Nothing could be further, right, from the truth. So, yeah. You you can you can basically, um, like, it's, it's just insanity. I wish I had the TFSA when I was younger, because yeah. I, I wouldn't have had to do the home buyers withdraw and pay it all back every year. And then of course you have to pay the minimum back. And then, and then if you don't, they, they tax you on it. And of course that's probably going to happen in a year that you make a good bonus. And then you're at a higher tax rate. Like it's just, there's a lot of implications see, if it's not done right. See, I think the important part is when people are looking to buy or thinking about it, like a lot of times I'll send people to Trevor and they're thinking about doing it a year from now. So those people that have that foresight to do that can really take advantage of that. The people that are saying, I want to buy a house that I just saw in the news, well, not the newspaper, but on Facebook the other day, and they want to do it right away, they don't have that opportunity to do that, right? So, hey, but smart planning um, begets flexibility, right? I think Brandon's point is a good one. That TFSA is an amazing tool. Didn't exist when we were all young. Um, you guys are younger than I am, but uh, like when we were – Super early. I look at my kids. My, I've got a 20-year-old uh, and a 22-year-old. They've got they've maxed out their TFSAs. They're doing lots of investing and long-term thinking in those vehicles. And those dollars can be used for anything: buying homes, buying cars, setting up a business, whatever you you want. I think it's the greatest innovation that, from a savings perspective, that CRA has put in place, maybe ever. That that, that HFSA is pretty good, though. That's interesting. I like yeah. that. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And, I, and I, address I, this issue around affordability, right? Like even just to get the down payment for a house these days, given housing prices and the escalation and inflation we've seen, uh, you've got to have a, a lot of money, right? Hundreds of thousands in many cases. So. Uh, and I think priority one should be subscribing to Professional Insight. That should be the, the number one. Uh, we circle around here. Yeah, getting, getting professional help is uh, something we're very much in favor of. Well, I mean, I think, that, I think the... You know, the consensus is that tax rules don't get easier. Um, they become more complicated. Um, there's more options. And everything is so circumstantial that, you know, it's hard to say, here's what you should do, generally speaking. It, it really is uh, so dependent on everybody's personal situation, right? So, yeah, there's going to be a general hierarchy of how to do things, but, um, but everybody's situation is going to be different. So, you know, younger folks who are going to be in the market for, for, their, for their first home, that's really the target for this um, new FHSA. Um, and so you're right, Brandon. I wish, too, that the TFSAs were available when we were younger and coming out of university and started, you know, saving money. Um, but, but the youth today have much more options available to them. It increases complexity, which just means that the – the greater need to work with guys like like you to figure it all out for them. A couple of things that I wanted to say uh, was where I was where I was going uh, at before Brandon had spoke was I'm not sure where sorry Jeff the future is going with respect to this newer generation. 
in terms of renting versus buying houses. That's what I was going to allude to. And the second thing was, in terms of first-time homebuyers, it's different in the legal sphere because you cannot have owned a prior home anywhere in the world and you could not have, your spouse could not have owned a home in order for you to qualify for the first-time uh, home buyer exemption for land transfer tax. Josh, so those, are great, those, are, those are great points. Like I think in the same thing, the youth today might go, hey, the housing market's so bloody expensive, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm, I'm going to rent, I'm going to do what I do, I'm going to put money behind a business yeah. or something, something different. So, so even in that case, though, so as, uh, you know, as one in, in the tax sphere, I mean, the one thing we do anytime rules come out is how do you figure out how do you get around them? How do you kind of uh, manipulate them, take them yeah. advantage of it, right? Plan, and do plan. It for as long as you, <laughs> yeah, you plan. Um, so one of the things, by the way, um, one of the things I think that sort of created an opportunity, let's say you have clients, younger clients who may tell you, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I don't ever plan to, I'm going to rent. I just think that's going to make sense. They're more mobile. Um, they don't know where they're going to be in the future. So they're going to plan to rent. So these new FH, FHSA rules, uh, you know, you qualify as long as you meet the criteria. So, you know, let's say a client meets the criteria, but has no desire to purchase a home. I mean, they could still utilize this FHSA take advantage of $40,000 of contribution room over their lifetime. Um, and if down the road, you know, they continue to have uh, that mindset that they're never going to purchase. Well, when down the road, let's say 15 years out, um, you know, comes time, they've got to close this. They do have options. And one of the options, at least from my understanding of the review of the red legislation is that they'll be able to transfer that money to their RSP, to their RSPs, without requiring any RSP contribution room, right? And then you'll be able to, awesome. you'll be able, you'll be, be able to, yeah, so you'll, and you'll be able to do that as long as you continue to qualify as a first time home buyer. So, you know, for me, that seems to signal, look, if folks who um, have no desire, well, they can still utilize this plan and mm -hmm. in a sense, get an additional $40,000 of RSP contribution room. Um, over and above their regular RSP limits. At least that's my assessment of of these new rules as, as they're laid out right now. Hey, that's a game changer, Frank. I love that. 100%. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that that's tilts it. Yeah, See, I big. find it interesting because I find younger and younger people are looking to buy now. I think they're just more educated and they have people in their family that are talking to them about it. So like I just sent Trevor someone 18 who just literally turned 18. He's like, I need to plan now how to get in the house. But they need support. They need strong yeah. support, Jeff. It's very smart. Well, I, they they I, need insight and they need people to have those conversations with them, which other people might not have, right? But, yeah. you know, for real estate, it's great to have the renters because the renters pay the other people's mortgages. So they're making other people money, right? So it's... Your kids are going to be okay because you're in the game, though, and you, you yeah. know, yeah. right? Brandon, same, right? Like everybody on here, same, right? Because you're paying attention to the appropriate things, and hopefully our audience as well now, right, uh, gets the opportunity to have this insight and, and take advantage of these things. I love it. Hey, boys, what, what do you say we should gears? I, uh, you we are. We're going to be okay. I want to talk, talk about retirement. I'm looking at the clock. And uh, I want yep. to make sure we get a chance to squeeze this in. That's a great segue because this actually all all ties in, right? From a nice segue. Oh, he's he's looking for your job there, Curry. He's looking for your job. What's 
He's taking yeah. all hosting. No, we're good. That's fine. We got, I, we got do, I do tons here. of hosting right from here. I'm accustomed to sort of managing managers, PMs going, okay, great point. Let's move on. Yeah. yeah. I So the market basically for 2023. So Mike, this is over to you. And then this will go, this is going to um, basically uh, lead into like the order of asset withdrawal too, is what I want. So let's start with what's your assessment. And because you, you've interviewed, I think in the last week or week or in a half or so about 10 portfolio managers or so, something like that. I, I saw on the channel. hundred yeah, percent. And what are they saying? So go ahead. What's, okay, what's so 2023 going to look like Monday of, uh, of this week, we, uh, we actually broadcast on Tuesday, our 2023 market outlook. So I had a chance to sit down with our two CIOs, Leslie Marks, CIO for, uh, for equity, Steve Locke, our CIO for fixed income, Ron Hansen, um, one of our experts on macroeconomic threats and so forth. The, the short story, 23, 2022 was horrendous. It was awful, right? From a total return perspective, most indices were negative. Uh, interest rates went up big, bonds lost, equities lost, your typical balanced fund was down 10 to 15%. It was a, it was a pretty bad year across the board. 2023 is shaping up, in their words, to be better. And I'll, I'll steal this from Leslie Marks. Her point was, hey, we're cautiously optimistic about 2023. We're hopeful of a soft landing in the economy, one that avoids a... Uh, you know, a devastating recession where we, we see lots of job loss and tremendous amount of pain. We're hoping for that that balancing act, the Goldilocks uh, approach. And um, so better certainly for fixed income. We had rate hikes in, uh, in 2022 to stave off inflation. Inflation's running hot. Um, Jerome Powell, Fed chair, is, uh, is committed to breaking the back of, of this inflationary issue. So they're committed to higher for longer. So people got to be prepared for that. It's going to be more expensive to finance things, cars and homes and the stuff they, they want to own. Um, it's also going to be more costly for those that want to borrow to invest or speculate. So tighter financial conditions are going to persist, but it sets up well for total return in bond land, in, in the bond market, the fixed income market, according to Steve Locke. He sees positive returns in, uh, in bond portfolios in the mid single digits to high single digits, depending on your asset mix. And that the second half from an equity perspective is, uh, is, is shaping up to be much better. The first half, I think there's going to be a lot of um, debate and look at the statistics and the earnings numbers. Like today, bank earnings came out. They weren't in the US, not what um, the industry was looking for. So banks have sold off, looked like the, the market was, was down a bit. You're going to see a bunch of that where earnings get announced and uh, we're going to get a chance to digest the, the road forward. The second half of this year from an equity perspective looks brighter, right? That if we avert recession and are able to stabilize earnings and continue to get things growing, we should see some, some decent numbers put up across the board. We have an overweight for Canada an underweight for US, uh, a positive outlook for um, international. The US we're a little concerned about because of its propensity and focus on, on growth names. A lot of the big tech leaders are in the US and with interest rate increases, tech has sold off dramatically. Some of the, the more growthy segments of the market in favor of a rotation into value. 
right? So banks, some of the cyclicals, energy stocks and so forth that Canada's quite rich in. So we, we like the Canadian story. Um, we think the US dollar's probably gonna weaken a little bit, which could be good for emerging markets in some areas. Big, uh, big question marks geopolitically, certainly the Russia-Ukraine war has tossed a wrench into energy balance in uh, in Europe, and they're looking for ways to to figure that out, um, as is the rest of the world. Canada is energy rich, so that in some ways is is positive for us. The other big geopolitical question mark is China. What happens there? They're they've gone from a zero COVID policy, lockdowns everywhere, to suddenly eh, everything's open. Just go. We're gonna let everybody get COVID. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see what happens. And it's kind of the way a lot of people wanted the North American solution to look, right? There yeah. were those who fought lockdowns and stay at home and all the rest of it. They said, listen, just let this thing run its course. We'll see what happens. A Florida solution. You, well, you run the risk, right, guys, of, uh, of hospitals being overwhelmed, people dying in droves. So we'll see. But, you know, I was on a call. One of the participants Brandon, the uh, people I interviewed was our, our folks at China Asset Management from Beijing. And uh, Wenji Ding was was on with me and she said, yeah, I, everybody's got COVID right now. Everybody. I had it two weeks ago. The entire office is at it. It is sweeping. So who knows? Maybe it washes through the, the entire economy rather quickly. And suddenly they've got herd immunity and they experience a, a better, faster recovery. We'll see. But they're, they loom big on the world stage. You know, issues around Taiwan are completely different, but, um, you know, there's no shortage of things to worry about, but long-term optimism means diversification, means sticking with a, a, a strategy that's value-based and, and has some uh, ability to participate in a variety of different elements of growth. And we see 23 shaping up better than, uh, than 22. That was a difficult, difficult time. Did now, you, uh... on that point, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Bondo. Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, being a geologist or a former interesting geologist, did you? Uh, what do you think about uh, that new find in Sweden with the uh, with the deposit of uh, rare earth uh, metals? Well, Have that's you heard about that? I, I hadn't heard specifically about that one, but the whole rare earth metals issue. Mm -hmm. I know China has a lock hold on that market. Well, now right? Sweden kind of Sweden just this found be good. a deposit. So, he, you, Josh, you bring up a great point, and I, I love it. One of the managers I interviewed on uh, Tuesday was Benoit Gervais. He's our resource manager, right? And uh, so he runs our precious metals fund. He runs our global resource product. And I said on the call, this, is, this whole commodity story is one people continue to get wrong. I think in many ways, you know, the oil producers and some of the, you know, the, the base metals commodity people have been kind of lumped into the, the, the offenders camp. <clears throat> that they're contributing to CO2 emissions, they're dirtying the world, you know, they're, they're a problem we need to, to fix. His point is the way forward to a green economy, right, is utilizing commodities, whether it's, you know, gold, oil, precious metals, gas, rare earth um, elements, like we're going to need all these things and we're going to mm -hmm. need to use them smart. Um, the other the other thing I'm sort of struck with now from a, a global investment perspective is the fact that if you're looking through this ESG lens, right, long term sustainability, CO2 emissions and our future, you know, the future of humanity, it, it involves commodities. 
right? It involves, you know, oil and gas as transitional fuels till we get mm -hmm. to more sustainable renewables. It means tremendous amount of investment in everything we do, everything as humanity needs to be redesigned through that type of lens. So, hey, if I was heading to school today, if I was graduating from high school, I, I think maybe I'd want to be an engineer because there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to redesign everything we're, we're about. Um, I also- but That should change. be a game changer on the global scale though, right? Because uh, Europe so so reliant on these rare metals, so so reliant on China for these rare metals that they're no longer going to have to rely on Ch China, right? Which is well, yeah, Josh, you you for, hit it for, for that aspect of it. Anyways. Resource resource scarcity is a major issue. A secure source of whatever resource you're yep. you're looking for, whether that's gas or oil or rare earth metals or water, you name eventually. it. <laughs> uh, you got to you got to know where you can get it from, and you got to be able to depend on who you're getting it from. So, yeah, I think having that come from Sweden or Canada or other friendly hands is, uh, is, yes. is a great place to go. Well, it, it goes to say, because just recently Tesla just slashed their prices by 20%. Um, they're having huge supply chain issues out of China. Um, one of the things that you're very good at is the geopolitical landscape, which I'm going to get into because I really want to tackle that. Um, but that also bodes well, though, um, for domestic car manufacturers uh, like General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler um, to take the lead in the in the EV space because they're very close to the, the, the ring of fire, specifically in northern Ontario. Um, and uh, that supposedly is going to be on by 2027, 2028. Um, hey, one thing, so Brandon, kind of a, a cool sidebar story, you know, Elon's in the news yeah. pretty much every, every day, right? Great, uh, great yeah. background story he's got a connection to canada he went to queens at one point he was actually a summer intern at mckenzie investments back in get out yeah uh so i he was there just before me but folks i know well knew elon musk as a summer employee at mckenzie investments said uh he used to run around with emeralds in his pocket raw emeralds his dad was from south africa i think and was involved in in mining and so forth and uh elon was always a, a little unusual <laughs> clearly uh a, a genius in many ways. <laughs> yeah oh yeah different kind of cat for sure and you got to give him credit he's reinventing the world right mm. so maybe he's bit off more than he can chew with twitter but <laughs> what he's doing with tesla seems to be game changing and uh i can tell you this firsthand i own like i signed up for starlink the, uh, the internet solution at the cottage um, because I couldn't get reliable high-speed internet any other way. So now I'm paying Elon, Elon. So on a monthly basis for internet. <laughs> yes, sir. And how's the internet? The internet <laughs> oh, the internet's amazing. Like you should see the speeds on uh, on Starlink. It's incredible. And, Are you uh, I've the, seriously? I've been, yeah, off the charts, like faster than my high speed in the city sometimes. I was like, yeah, it was wild. No issue. So no, so I'm streaming, you know, I've got, uh, I'm up there on zoom like this and, you know, doing meetings and doing everything I need to do where that was impossible before. That's cool. Now, now on that note, so I, I don't know if you follow, uh, Peter Zion. Uh, he's a, like, um, I guess a geopolitical 
researcher scientist and basically he's he's you know he's got a youtube channel and um he touched on a couple things and and one of the things that i know that you're passionate about is the geopolitical landscape and that is uh the population of russia and the population of china um being not what they are or what they are perpetuated to be um which is another reason why um the you know your um Hey, so Brendan, the reason why Tesla is having a, a problem right now. So I've been reading his book, The End of the World is Just the Beginning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So we That's got it. I, I, I have it. It's it's uh, actually I'm um, an Audible subscriber. Not sure if Audible contributes to this uh, this podcast webcast, but they probably should. They should. And, and uh, but anyway, yeah, The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And uh, it's fascinating. What he's talking about the whole trends around deglobalization, right? The fact yep. that we gotta you've gotta have secure sources for whatever you want. And odds are if you wanna do that, you better make it yourself or make it close to home or make it um, get a source from friendly hands. And uh, so this is another big trend, not a necessarily a good one from a price perspective, it's kind of inflationary long run, in that you gotta rethink what you're doing. He talks about in his book population collapse the opposite like a lot of folks think about oh population topped 8 billion last year we're just going to keep on growing he's talking about the opposite problem that perhaps the whole thing sort of caves in on itself that it's not well let me give you a jumping board on that yeah like let me give you a jumping board on that one and then take it from here uh china lied about the hundred uh, about a hundred million people of population size. They had the one child policy uh, in in the nineties. On top of that, they industrialized, and we know that when you industrialize, you move to urban centers and you have less kids because kids are expensive. But when you're agricultural, you have as many kids as you can because kids are free labor. So, at the same time as the one child policy, China implemented and, and industrialized, and then went more modern. They urbanized. They had less kids. And he's like saying like 10, 15 years and you're just like, they don't have traits people on top of that COVID-19 clearly uh, shed a light on all those companies that moved all their factories to China or to the Asia Pacific region on what happens if you centralize everything in Mexico, ironically through what, why Canada and the U S are, are actually, um, sitting pretty because of our, our North American free trade agreement or whatever Trump called it after he renegotiated it. USMCA. USMCA. Is that Trevor? It is. Yeah, that was Trevor. He spoke. It was crazy. Trevor spoke. I tried speaking earlier. I realized my mic was muted when we were talking about the the Starlink. Starlink being... Oh, did you have you have Starlink too, Trev? I was considering getting it for my trailer. Because they allow you to roam with it, but I've heard a lot of complaints. People that are roaming with it, they're getting uh, they're getting so, slaughtered on speeds. What you're talking about is the RV version of yep. Starlink. That's what I have too. I I, okay. I don't roam with it. I've got it as a permanent location in my cottage, but I have the RV version, partly because it's also scalable. Like you can turn it on or off whenever you want, right? So I'm yes. only there six months of the year. The other six shut down, so I can just turn it off and not pay. Where the regular version, you have to. Um, yeah, and like anything, the network of satellites that Elon is putting up continues to increase, right? You probably have seen footage of, if you haven't seen it personally, 
these launches that take place across the night sky. It's incredible. He's on his way to 40,000 satellites. Right now he's at, I don't know, five or seven. He's going to take over the world. Um, he's doing some things right, but I, I wouldn't back away from the Starlink for a second. I think it's great. They're using it in Ukraine too, right? Like that's what's supplying the Ukrainian army with uh, the drones, high speed access when they when they need it. Bit of a segue. To now, are there? Yeah, no, sorry, we just yeah, traveled there for a second. And I'm not. Yeah, go on the. Yeah, go on the China the the China route because that's just very interesting and in how Mexico has cheaper labor than China and a, a more skilled labor force than China now and their populations in, in great shape. So you want to take it from there? Cause I'm, I know that's your, your passion with geopolitical, but, but yeah, I, I mean, also, I, I also, I also want you to reconcile kind of what we're talking about. And I, I don't want this to come across as though I'm in any way a Trump supporter, but isn't that what Trump was kind of trying to get to in his, he, he was definitely, his messages sometimes were, were, were sound, but his communication was just so off point, like with his made in America, yeah, trying to I mean, say that, like, that seemed like blatant. That seemed like blatant, uh, you know, flag waving, right? He was going to bring back the uh, the coal industry. You're going to, yeah. you know, he, he made a bunch of hollow promises for things he uh, clean coal, but really ideologically though similar though, no, right? Like yeah, just try to. I mean, make... and and this this idea that you know the Peter Zion idea of uh, hey, the end of the world in its current state is really only the beginning. We got to kind of rethink what we're going to do, where we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. So um, onshoring those those trends or deglobalization, making things more locally, uh, particularly those issues, those things you you have to have um, is only going to increase. I think everybody's attention is on that. You mentioned Musk. He's been complimented on his ability to maintain supply chain um, issue, whether it's microchips or you know rare earth elements or whatever he needs to make batteries. This guy's been able to kind of make sure he has what he needs to make the cars. Um, everybody's got to do that, whether it's PPE, um, mm -hmm. you know, vaccines, microchips, all of it. Like, uh, yeah, that that's it. That's a big trend. So, hey, we're we're big believers in China. McKenzie is an owner um, in, uh, I think, the largest asset manager in China, China Asset Management. We see that population growth and uh, the creation and development of the middle class is a tremendous opportunity. Um, China is a driver behind world economic growth. Their economy grows at a faster pace than uh, anywhere else in the world. And they're a major contributor to efficiency from a manufacturing perspective. And there's lots of places around the world that can manufacture things, some cheaper, some less so, some more reliable, potentially. Um, I think COVID sort of exposed the world uh, to the risk of making assumptions, right? That, hey, we'll always have X. Maybe you won't. Maybe you need to figure out what you do if you don't, right? So, yeah, there's all, geopolitical risk is something I think you got to think about as a financial advisor, as an investor. Um, where and how much you deploy in certain areas needs to be top of mind. Um, you know, my view is an optimistic one that the world hopefully will be a safer, better place in the future as it is today versus where it was in the past and that we continue to innovate. And there's always going to be political tension. So sure. we don't need, you know, actual shooting wars, hopefully to, uh, to resolve some of these issues. So the diversification, diversification piece is, is what you're, are you starting to see 
companies move that way and have multiple sites you know throughout because of the deglobalization that's taken place is that do you think that's a trend that's going to continue to happen sure i think well think about it brandon the, the world's aware now of their their risk profile they, a bunch yeah. of things happened yeah. that we didn't think could happen which disrupted the ability to get the stuff we need when we need it and um hey that just says maybe i wasn't as aware of some of the outlier risks, those Six Sigma things that you think can never happen, sometimes do. And maybe you want to be aware. And that, you know, sound investment philosophy means diversifying, buying quality, diversifying, not putting too many eggs in one basket, but also understanding your own strengths and weaknesses. You, you can't pull your money in and out all the time. I think you want to have a, a well-defined course of action, align yourself with pros who know what they're doing and think long-term. And all of the managers I've interviewed in the last 10 days, that came up, geopolitical risk. What are you doing about it? How do you limit? And they they do that with position sizes. They do that with uh, you know, diverse geographic and sector-based diversification strategies. There's lots of ways that professional asset management can help protect um, your long-term saving strategy. Now you, with that and, and proper PMs managing the money and uh, absolutely, I mean, I was having this conversation literally last night on the difference between, for example, an ETF and a mutual fund and, and McKenzie does both. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that mutual funds, you have that ability to own puts, calls, options, uh, you, you can, you can have a cash wedge, uh, with, within there. So it gives you a lot more flexibility, whereas ETF, you have to be fully vested and you have to follow the the index that you're trying to mimic. Um, but on that case, uh, you've, you've also mentioned, and you're, you're very um, knowledgeable in the order of asset withdrawal, which is something that as a financial planner, I get asked quite a bit, um, you know, uh, do I de defer my tax liability? And, you know, Frank, feel free to, to, to chime in here as well, you know, later on in life, or do I kill the RSP now and just let the TFSA go or, well, hey, so, so Brandon, this, this, this is a great topic and one I'm, I'm glad we, we, we've um, mm -hmm. got a chance to chat about. So let me set the stage for you a little bit on why oh. McKenzie and Frank and I have been working together on a project for the last couple of years related to retirement, right? So um, yeah. but I'll, I'll fill you in on kind of why we think it's critically important. And let me give you the the background stats. I love it. I love it in the big wide shot with everybody there, so I can kind of see who's who's doing what. But not that I'm trying to direct. Hey, Rook, can we go to that? That'd be great if we could. Because um, I think I want everybody to jump in here. And I've got a few questions for the for you guys, the panel, um, that I want to direct to you. So anyway, so the, the the big crux of it, when we you know, Mackenzie's an asset manager. When we look at the landscape of investment options in uh, in Canada, where do we see the bulk of of the dollars residing? <clears throat> It's in Canadian 60 plus, right? It's people on the verge of retirement who are saving for retirement. Right now in Canada, there's somewhere north of 6 million of us. I'm not quite there yet, but that are 60 plus, right? Those six, 6 million plus Canadians control upwards of three and a half trillion, trillion boys with a, with a T, uh, dollars assets. That's like two thirds of investable wealth. And a lot of them are focused on this problem, this, hey, I will, I'm gonna be retiring soon. And what do you think, what do you think, here's my question to you, what do you think the number one question on their mind is? 
Do I have enough? Will I outlive my money? Bingo. Yep. They're both those. Yep. Do I have enough? Or will I they're, they're worried about running out of money, right? So, you know, their, their big question is, hey, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be, do I have enough? How much can I get? How long is it going to last? How much tax am I going to pay? What's my estate plan if I have one? Most people haven't done the soup to nuts on that. That's exactly what our good friend Frank DiPietro and I have spent the last couple of years thinking about. We work with independent financial advisors to help them make smart decisions. And one of these decisions is the, the focus on retirement planning. And we as an industry, Brandon, you've seen it. Um, we've been great mm -hmm. at the accumulation story. Remember what I said at the beginning, when I started, there was 25 billion in funds and ETFs didn't exist. Wind the clock ahead, there's 2 trillion in funds and ETFs. Like it's amazing, the growth. So, hey, we as a business, as an industry, as Canadians have been pretty good at putting money away. That's great. But we still have a lot of doubt about the end answer. Hey, am I going to be okay? Do I have the, the wherewithal to do what I want to do in retirement to make that transition? And it's partly because we, and I'll consider Mackenzie as guilty at this as anybody, tend to get all caught up in the idea of talking about product fees and performance. So we manage mutual funds and ETFs, we charge a fee, we generate performance numbers. So we love to talk about those things. But at the end of the day, the real, real work is done at the client level, right? Putting together the, the, the plans that help people understand they're going to be all right. And that's what Frank and I've done. And I was shocked to learn, and this is something I, I take away from Frank, um, is that you know, the way you approach your withdrawal strategy in retirement, this idea you, you hit on, the order of asset withdrawal can and does have a major influence on the amount of tax you're going to pay, either now or at, uh, at the estate level later on. And boys, let's face it, the single largest expense we will all endure as Canadians is taxation, bar none. So if you're not thinking with someone skilled like Frank DiPietro in your in your pocket, um, you're you're missing something because you're going to wind up paying more. So Frank, maybe enlighten the guys and those on the line about some of the work on order of asset withdrawal that we've done and how that kind of funnels into this our ability to help people understand. Hey, am I going to be okay? Sure, um, it, it is a great topic, and it's I think one of the biggest. Uh, concerns and mysteries that retirees have face going into retirement. Uh, and um, the last 15 years in, in this role at McKenzie, I can tell you the number of times I've had conversations with financial advisors about, hey, here's my client scenario. They want to know what's the best way to take money in retirement. And really up until the last couple of years, it's, it's, it's been more theoretical in, in trying to understand and um, how to do that, right? So you kind of take a client situation and you try to articulate theoretically what might make sense. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you really, really run the numbers and have really good software to kind of articulate what might be the best route to go. But to, to Mike's point, um, you know, Canadians have a number of different buckets that they may have accumulated in their life that will contribute to their uh, income in retirement. For many, you know, who may have been fortunate enough to work at a company who, where you've set aside a, a, a company-defined pension plan, 
they have a little less to worry about. They're going into retirement saying, here's how much is promised to me. Here's what I've got. Um, and that I'm going to go with that. But, but, but that's becoming uh, fewer and, and, uh, and less available to most, right? Most Canadians these days are entering retirement and facing retirement. Uh, AI, they're not having that or having to uh, fund their retirement from a number of sources. And that could be, you know, from their RSPs, it could be from their, their tax-free accounts, uh, it could be from other personal savings. Uh, if they're a business owner, have a, corporate, have a corporation, they could be, be drawing from their corporation. Maybe they've got rental properties and that's going to contribute. So there's there's literally, you know, uh, potentially a dozen different sources. And you want to figure out, how am I going to make up that income, that paycheck in retirement? And what's the best way to do it, right? And, and, and a study that McKenzie... Uh, ran last year found that only 22 percent or uh, or put it the other way actually 66 percent of canadians are not comfortable uh, or are not confident money's going to come from so that's one of the big concerns where's it going to come from uh, so the work that mike and i have been doing over the last uh, year and a half close to two years now is really trying to articulate to clients what might be the best route, given their situation? What might be the best course of action or optimal strategy to draw down in retirement? Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, um, do, I, do I draw down from RSPs first? Do I not? You know, like we've done RSPs. Uh, everything in financial planning that you learn when you when you're going through. Uh, this industry is that you always defer tax to the end, right? Like, uh, defer, 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 because the tax. Yeah, the pay, number. What's the number one rule, Frank? The number one rule yeah. has always been, "Hey, tax paid tomorrow is better than tax paid today." Exactly. So defer, and, defer, that, defer, yeah. right? and that would lead you to believe that you should always just leave your money in RSP and RIFs as long as possible. And so, if you're creating an income plan, then you'd really what that would tell you is take the least down out of those plans and fund retirement with other sources if you can. Um, but what we find is that potentially ex exposes Canadians to a very large potential tax liability when they die, right? Because as you may know, um, when we pass, in most scenarios, uh, clients are going to lose up to half of what they've accumulated in their RSPs and RIP. And so from a financial planning perspective, compared to other possible withdrawal strategies, and they actually end up being the worst scenario. Um, so how do you assess whether it makes sense to make take more money out of your RSPs in retirement, potentially pay some tax along the way so that you reduce this potential hit uh, for your estate? And so the work that Mike and I have been doing is about assessing different withdrawal strategies. Right, taking a uh, uh, taking a client's scenario, taking a look at all those various sources of income that are available to them in retirement, the savings that they accumulated, and saying, uh, comparing and contrasting different withdrawal strategies for the end client, and and making a recommendation on what might be the optimal way 
to draw income in retirement. Because what might be good for me uh, may not necessarily be good for Josh or for Trevor, for anyone on, on here. So every client, again, is different. Um, and this whole idea of how you draw down makes a very big difference in the amount of tax and, and your net estate values and all those things that are so important to clients. Um, you're going to be busy with that. You're going to be busy. With, you're going to be busy, right? Huge. A lot of well, Frank, Frank and I have worked with advisors from across the country yep. to sort of consult in a way on some of these more complicated cases. And I know we've worked with business owners and some of the most challenging, Frank, we found are the areas where you could almost do anything, right? So if you've got a lot of corporate assets, you know, your RSP and your your TFSA and your, your open account are one thing, but the corporate assets, there's a lot of flexibility and nuance, almost artsmanship, you know, artistic creativity and yep. how you want to approach this, <laughs> yeah, this, this approach. And that's what I consider Frank an artist, yep. honestly, in understanding and articulating these tax concepts. Um, we've seen where the difference between strategies on the same case set of facts, you got, you know, a couple business owner, all of those assets we talked about, just a difference in order of asset withdrawal could make as much as a half a million dollars difference in taxes payable, right? So getting the order of asset withdrawal right is critical. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily intuitive. Um, it can change case by case and situation by situation, certainly. So there isn't just one way to do it. And uh, we think you, you, you got to get it right. Um, and we love, you know, our, our, our ability to help nail down the, 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 you know, discuss options, look at ways to effectively address some of these tax concerns. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great holistic approach, right? Guys, very, this whole thing about retirement, approach. honestly, is, is so deep. Like Mackenzie spent a bunch of time asking questions, running surveys, discussing with Canadians who are either in retirement or, you know, going, you know, headed for retirement. And they're concerned about a lot of stuff, right? The big six for us. And I'll tell you, sort of, I think we, we got to come back at this at, at, at some point on a future show and talk about, you know, personal happiness in retirement. What does that take? It's not just money, right? It's so personal happiness is determined by a bunch of different things and how you address not just the dollar figures to fund what you want to do, but hey, how are you spending your time? Are you giving back? What are you, what are you doing? So this personal um, checklist on, on retirement. But Canadians are concerned about um, that idea of purposeful retirement. Hey, a lot of us create our identities through what we do, right? We identify right. our value as a person is associated with who we are, what we are. And suddenly, oh, I no longer do that. Does that mean I'm worthless, right? Well, a piece what of you dies, right? Now? Yeah, in a way. And yeah. But I think it's a, it's a transformational. Frank and I found that this is a, a transitional time, a time of adjustment, a time of a lot of different types of stresses, right? People, as they as they go through or into or think about retirement, have a lot, you know, there's a, what Larry Distillia, one of our partners talks about, it's a sort of a stress inventory. There's a bunch of different stresses. So, you know, it can be financial stress for sure. Um, your personal happiness stress inventory, like what's gonna make you happy? What do you really wanna do? How are you gonna spend your time? Um, your unique skill set. How can you turn your unique skill sets into effective ways of both spending time, perhaps earning money, um, staying engaged, staying young, using your your brain, right? There's so much that goes into the, the process. But, you know, a lot of people are worried. You know, that big one you guys talked about, you know, am I going to run out of money is kind of number one. 
And that's number one for people both in retirement today and headed for retirement tomorrow. They don't know whether what they have is enough. And Canadians have been pretty good at you know working hard, saving, paying down debt, accumulating capital in all of the pools that we talked about. But they still don't know whether it adds up to the right number. And working with a professional advisor, we feel is critical in putting together the knowledge that you're going to be okay. And, and just having that is a great stress reliever in itself. Frank, tell the story. I don't know whether you want to tell a story about your, your in-laws, but it's one that I tell a lot and that I love, right? right. Uh, they might not like it shared, but I think it's, yeah, it's yeah, kind of cool. That. But, but I think before we even get to that, just to kind of uh, uh, tag on to what you're saying, you know, you know, one of the questions we go through, obviously one of the things you need to know when you're doing your retirement plan how much income do you need in retirement but going on on this um you know non-financial component of of retirement it, it's so overlooked sometimes and but but so critical to the process because you know larry would say like how do you know how much you need without knowing exactly how what you're going to do in retirement like how are you going to yeah. spend your or, or what makes you that happy yeah or what makes you happy that will define what you're going to need right yeah yeah, um, so sometimes we look at it, the financial first, but really it should be the other way around. The non-financial will help determine what the financial side of it is. But, um, you know, from, from a personal perspective, um, you know, my, my in-laws, uh, you know, without really getting into all of the details, um, you know, my father-in-law has since passed, but, but when he was, when he was alive, you know, he was a, more of a free spirit, um, uh, worked for the Ontario uh, Ministry of Transportation, retired uh, a number of years ago, has a great pension plan. Yeah, he's got uh, the DB plan, right? So that would know. Oh, yeah. Plan, the, right? Yeah, he's DB plan. But on, on top of that, him and his wife, my mother-in-law, were great savers, right? So they had accumulated some wealth in their RSPs and TFS, max TFS. So, the, so, you know, financially, they were set and have very, you know, limited needs from a, from a income perspective. Um, and so when they're doing their income planning and, um, you know, he was fine. He never had any concerns, but my mother-in-law on the other hand was uh, not a fair, more, uh, very, very conservative. And, and I learned in this process, she was that, you know, client that you, you kind of talk about all the time, but actually like online every day and checks more statements, right? And track <laughs> every day, and would write it in a notepad what the market is like, right? She was oh Jesus, literally. Oh so wow, she was that uh, that conservative about you know, and she would track every, every penny that she she um, that she spent, um, and was very concerned. Uh, she so she worked for Life Labs, but as part of a reorganization, uh, she got packaged out. So she re she was forced into retirement, which I think added to her stress levels. Um, in any event, these very deep concerns about am I or are we going to be okay, right? Um, and so through this process that Mike and I have sort of created, I put her through this process to try to ease her, her mind, right? Um, and, and we ran through the process and we said, look, here's what you need. Here's what your assets, uh, um, uh, with some assumptions, of course, can sustain your time, you know. And, and she looked at it and was absolutely blown away to know. What was her? Hey, Frank. What was her first response? 
Well, her first response was, that can't be right. I know. So you're, I you're lying. That's wrong. We're... Yeah, that, 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 that software you're using, it's wrong. No good. Right? No like, good. <laughs> I had to literally walk through kind of the income components, where the sources were mm -hmm. coming from, how how she was going to uh, do it. To eat, and and by the end of this sort of, I call it meeting, but it was, you know, yeah. my mother-in-law over yeah. at the house. Coffee. <laughs> um, the stress off of her shoulders, I could sense it. And she was like, oh my God, like that was, that feels great. So I think part of this process is, is, you know, to kind of help ease the minds of some, because sometimes we think, are we going to be okay? But on the flip side, you know, when she was telling me what her income needs were, they were really low. And I'd say, look, do you want to travel more in retirement? Yes, I'd love to go back to, you know, to go out east more often to see family. I just never thought I could afford it. It's like, okay, well, you say your income need is, let's say it was 40000 You can spend 80000 need to. Like, don't be so conservative and enjoy your life, right? Like, so guys, there's there's the key. So that's the hey, example of kind of taking it the other way, saying, look, you think you have to live this way, but you can actually afford much more. Don't worry the about better lifestyle. Money. And yeah, there's so like, many people, guys, that are in that that position, Canadians that are far better off than they realize, that have kind of got themselves into this poverty mindset where they go, I can't spend a nickel. She was you were saying things like she was shopping at the dollar store. She wouldn't oh, do anything yeah. for herself. She was like, it was affecting her sleep. She was losing sleep. Yet at the end of the day, when you actually run the numbers, she's fine. You're going to be okay. In fact, you're better off than, than you know and understand. And I would say there's many Canadians that are in that camp that carry an unnecessary level of anxiety because they haven't put all the pieces together. And what we want to do is help people understand uh, more clearly exactly what that means. And sometimes, you know, we've worked on cases where, okay, they're looking to validate $100,000 a year in net after-tax income, and the facts is stated, only work out to 80, right? So, hey, there's a negative deficit. Let's examine the case. Let's talk about actual needs. Let's run the, the numbers. And we're able to, to find the right balancing point, right? And there's lots of different strategies to, uh, to do that. But it um, I would I would say as a, as a whole, there's a lot to be gained by seeking professional financial advice and running the numbers. So many Canadians men are guilty of this, right? Like, hey, we feel a pain. We don't go to the doctor. We rub some dirt on it and hope it goes away. Right. And uh, that isn't the answer. Right. You want to get the, the right help and understanding the scope of your situation and what you have to to deal with is uh, is a big part of the process so don't fear it welcome it and you know we we see a tremendous amount of of opportunity to uh, to help people reduce their stress increase their enjoyment of this next segment of life the big piece that everybody should take away is that people are living longer every decade right and that it it's highly probable that us folks on the line those listening are going to spend more time in retirement than we spend working, right? This is a big chunk of life. So let's make sure we, we get it right and are prepared to enjoy this major segment of, uh, of our existence on this planet. Love it. 
you know, it's it is it is actually, and as a you know, this would be a nice this is a nice way to to kind of put a bow tie on everything that we've discussed. I guess you know, anyone that's listening, watching, deal with a professional now, like do it now. Don't walk into an office at fifty five and going, oh, I think I'm going to ready to retire. I got you know five years left because sometimes you can't. That's like turning the Titanic. And you can't but it doesn't mean do you it, have right? to act and, right now, right? It doesn't mean that you have to act, but at least gain the knowledge, right? About whether you right, like act, I mean, right? because yeah. you could be stressing and not living your life when you have your health, and because you're worried about you know different components, like you know Frank's mother-in-law, and you know think of all the trips she never took, and and the family she never got to see. Um, but if you deal with a professional right from the beginning and, 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 and look at, you know, succession planning and stuff and, and companies that, where do you, where do I put my money? Um, you know, it, it it's not as bad as what you might think it is, but then right. this is also to the people who haven't saved enough. Start right. early. It's, yeah. The what's the best piece, of advice, right? best piece of advice for retirees is, Hey, 30 years ago, maximize all your contributions. Yeah, you can't do that. What are we going to do today? And advice for folks on the line, like they might look at the last year and say, oh, returns are horrible. Things bad. Uh, I don't want to make an investment. Well, I I can tell you this. That's exactly the right time to be putting money to work. When markets are down and prices are low and opportunities are great, our managers are doing those best work and identifying great value opportunities. The long term, the biggest influence on the long term rate of return of anything you buy is the price you pay for it. The lower the price, the better your your compounded return over time. There's some great value in the market today, more so than we've seen in a very long time. So use this to your advantage. Simple, easy strategies for the average saver or someone in retirement. Again, people are going to be in retirement a long time, 25, 30 years or more. That's a long-term time frame. You can't be sitting in cash. You got to be invested. Probably a good idea to bucket sources of your your money, short-term money, medium-term money, long-term money. But you want to stay invested. And uh, use dollar cost averaging or from an accumulation perspective, when you're putting money in, just do it every month. Don't time it. Don't try to figure it out. You can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Warren Buffett can't figure it out, right? Get invested, stay invested. Dollar cost averaging, we can buy quality. Um, you know, don't get all worried when the headlines are bad. Oftentimes when the headlines are their worst, that's when you want to make a purchase of, uh, of something effectively. So. There's lots you can do to confront, but the best thing you can do is educate yourself, work with professionals, um, continue to, uh, you know, to formulate an effective strategy and stick with it. Right. Totally agree. Could not agree more. When things are on sale in the real world, you buy it. But when, when the investments are on sale, 20, (laughs) guess what guys, 2022 was a, was a fire sale. It's 25% off right now on average. So buy now because that upswing is going to be really good when what well, just exactly what uh Mike said, H2 of this year, you're going to start starting to see the dividends and start to see the 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 fruits of your labor. Yeah, look at opportunities in um, energy. Oil prices were negative less than, you know, 3 years ago and uh, Absolutely. Guess who's making a bunch of money now? Energy companies. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna we're gonna take the last fifteen minutes of the show uh, with both Frank and Michael on. If you you guys both have time, you guys your schedules are yeah. good. Yeah, do good. yeah. Okay, thank you. So 
Uh, Trev, do you got any uh, anything interesting coming down the pipeline that you want to maybe bring up? Maybe something on a on a future episode um, that you know take a couple minutes and. We'll... Honestly, the real hot topic right now is with uh, labor markets uh, and the performance of, uh, of December. Oh, I hear the music in the back. What's that? Got the uh, sexy music. Oh, the music. <laughs> Next Bank of Canada meeting is January 25th, 10 a.m. And high likelihood that we're going to see another quarter point bump. I say we higher stay for, flush. Higher for longer, boys. Higher for longer. I say we stay flush. You think so? Right. Yep. I hope so. I hope so. I'm I'm not hopefully optimistic given the, the 400 basis points that we had increased through 2022. Hey, according New to our income managers, by the way, a lot of the, the price change, you know, there may still be interest rates yet to come, interest rate increases by central banks yet to come. But a lot <laughs> of that's already priced in the market. So it's already in the price of the bonds themselves. Yes. So yeah. bonds are offering better opportunities for purchase than ever. Now, well, I'll go to me uh, if you don't mind, uh, yep. Curry. Just go ahead. I, I had seen uh, I had seen advertised, uh, and I'd like the the panel kind of just comment on uh, a five percent GIC one year GIC. Now I know obviously we're you know our guests are dealing mostly in mutuals and and the like, but what what's what's the advice to a client to, in terms of the market outlook for twenty twenty three? Uh, you know, let's just presume that there's a one percent, uh, or let's just say one and a half percent on the portfolio. So, you know, really, would uh, is the market's going to do better than six point five percent essentially? On a, on a long term basis, I would I would say it is. So, a lot of folks would tend to get scared into a GIC type investment, right? Not necessarily seeing it as an investment opportunity, but going, oh. Yeah, the, the overall market's negative. Uh, finally, I'm getting a decent yield on a, a GIC. I'll buy that. Because yeah. um, it's guaranteed, I, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And in For most cases, term. you're you're guaranteed to actually lose money on a real return <laughs> basis. So um, the, the better, you know, hey, good news. Maybe your nope. deposit assets, your short-term money are going to make a bit of a yield. Okay, fine. But your real investment money? Uh, needs to find a better home. And I think markets like the one we're in set up that investment strategy. So don't don't get scared into going, oh, uh, yeah, markets are... People tend to overemphasize the recent past. So whatever just happened, they think is always going to happen. Equity markets are down, bond markets are down. I guess <clears> they'll <throat> always be that way. No, they won't. Um, so they buy the GIC. And then yeah. five years from now, they look back and go, I got locked into that 5% GIC. And... Uh, should have never yeah, I would have done way better <laughs> had I put my money to work in uh, in real companies. So, yeah. hey, balance makes sense. Sure. I don't think there's any need for you to go all one way or the other. Find the the mix in assets that makes you comfortable. <clears throat> but again, crisis is typically opportunity when it comes to an equity investment strategy. And if you're just, like 40 or below, zero fixed income, um, you know, get invested in a diverse range of global leaders, companies, and uh, and keep putting money away. Perfect. I just wanted that on the, you know, because a lot of people are thinking that right now because they're seeing 5%, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, 
the less savvy investor is thinking, hmm, okay, I'm scared. What's going on? Just as you said, right? So yeah, the fear-based the to, reaction. Yep. Yeah, yep. 100%. Collins, anything? Yeah, just kind of comment on the uh, the real estate market and the build market right now. It looks like 2023 has uh, gotten off to a crawl of a start right now. I think people are kind of sitting back and waiting to see what the Bank of Canada is going to do at the end of the uh, month. Um, it's interesting times right now because um, all the builders are sitting there with still uh, materials rising and people are waiting to buy on new builds, but the materials are continuing to go up. They're not really coming back down. So it puts some of the builders into a... Um, sticky situation because they either have to sit pat and hold off and see if the market turns, sell off a little bit lower than they're expecting. So right now, Roy LePage has predicted that it's going to be potentially uh, still a small adjustment downwards in prices, not much. And then we should be picking up at the end of the year. So 2023 is kind of sitting there in in standstill mode right now uh, for real estate as they're all sitting back watching to see what will happen with the market. Hopefully it picks up a little bit. Uh, what tends to happen right now is the snow hits real quick around Niagara near the end of January or February. It kind of pauses until that's gone. Um, but there's signs of, of buyers out there. They're just not pulling triggers. So it's, it's an interesting start to 2020. We, we had a builder, Jeff. Uh, we had a client who was buying off a b- builder where the builder said uh, they tried to rely on covid for an unforeseen delay at this point in time and tried to bump the closing to like the uh, 2026. Well, yeah, COVID, COVID, they've got some uh, some some protection in there for builders. I think it's more towards material costs that have not come down at all. Uh, but depending, it's probably on a condo, I'd imagine, right? Because there's a detached build, you can't push it out that far, I don't believe. I don't know that they're permitted to push it out that far, Jeff. That's why... Yeah, well, we're flipping see, the rocks, there, right? There, there's two things happening here. And, and you saw that recently where I had a close last week and uh, the buyer had a little bit of remorse, I think, at the very end and looked for a little bit of a refund at the end. And, and yep. you and John held held firm and they couldn't do nothing. Uh, but you'll see that that's quite a bit in the news right now where you'll have buyers who have bought two, three, four, five months ago. And now they're closing the markets down quite a bit since then. And they're trying to get out and it just doesn't happen. So. Breaches are up quite a bit right now in real estate and, and people are trying to get out of it. You, you got a, a binding contract in Ontario. It's not as easy as people think. That should be a whole nother topic where we could get Brad on there too. We talked about hey, that, but that's an interesting. Topic. Yeah. Hey Jeff, what about that yeah, uh, news headline? We, uh, we heard of houses being sold without the owner's knowledge. That, uh, well, that's that more of, fraud and all that. I think Trevor yeah. kind of deals with that more, more, more of that, right? Where people, especially when they don't have anything against their house, right? That's where people try well, to sell that stuff, but. Yeah. The scary part, uh, part about it, there's a second one that just popped up now, but the scary part there's about two, the first story two. was the first story, the, the couple was away on vacation. Two people came in, fake ID, convinced the realtor, the bank, and a lawyer that they were the people that owned the house. And they were wow. able to sell the house from underneath the rightful owners. Rightful owners returned home from vacation to see somebody different in their house and different furniture and everything. So that couple was able to cast a quick close. Wow. That's a a quick close. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. That one was sold uh, condition free offer. There's, there's so many things you can do to prevent that though, too. Right. You know, so there's a lot of, yeah, it's called regulation. Yeah. Well, knowing your due diligence too, you know, from the lawyer and And the the real estate agent and the mortgage person. Like I've been said though, but if they've got a good fake ID, 
If well, they've got a good yeah, we didn't. But yeah, but that just doesn't like. I mean, I got to kill a screen, tree right? to open like, up. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sorry, but th that that's pathetic. I'm sorry that that there's no excuse. If I have to kill a tree to open up a tax-free savings account for a hundred-dollar pack, and someone just sold a multi-million-dollar home in Toronto because they had a fake ID, that doesn't make that doesn't make it doesn't compute with me at all. We we can't do let, let to put this into perspective. I had my sister-in-law who in through marriage changed her last name. That's cool. So she opened up through McKenzie an RDSP because my niece um, has apraxia. So we go to open it up and we need all the SIN numbers. Right away, red flag, denied, Canada. Oh, McKenzie catches it right away because the SIN number's correct. But my sister in law forgot to change her last name to her married name on her SIN. So, how is it that we can't open up an RDSP when all documentation we had? had her married name, but her maiden name just didn't get changed on the sin and everything got rightfully so. Mackenzie caught it, denied it, and said, okay, we need a letter of direction. You guys know the whole process. Not going to bother with you. But someone can sell a multi-million dollar home in Toronto with a fake ID? That does not make sense to me at all. That is poor Same due name. diligence. And that is... Well, and you got to look at it from Same a real name. estate point of, point of view. Like someone comes up and you're just going to try to buy it out of the blue like that, just randomly laying down on a house and all that. Like have a little bit of a red flag go up, you know, like do, a, yeah. do just a scary. little bit of due diligence there. That's not right. What I feel the scariest part of that story comes yeah. down to there's so many people that are that are are desperate need for business right now yes. because of how much things have slowed down that you know, could the realtor involved in that transaction have turned a blind eye? Cut a corner. Maybe. I think so. Right? No, I think that something like there's been corners cut there. Anything's yeah. possible. There, were, oh, yeah. there was 100%. corners that were cut. If it's there's too no good to be true, it probably happen. is, you know, and if someone Absolutely. lays down like that and, and did they go full price or anything like that? There's not yeah, many buyers out there paying full. This happens, this kind of weird behavior happens a fair amount. I got a, a good friend of mine who's a realtor in Oakville. He said, "There's lots of weird. You got to be on guard because there's some shady things that can can occur." Yeah, oh, unfortunately, right now because there are a lot of desperate realtors out there that are looking for that payday, and you know, it's too easy. It's not. It's not happening. It's not real. There's a grind yeah, going there's, on. There's people didn't do their due diligence. and They didn't do their job, and yeah. um, that's a shame. It's scary. Uh, it is. It's it's, it's scary really sad. Someone it's can, really scary. What happened? Did they get their house back? I don't know oh, the end of the I story would. yet. I'm sure they did. The bank sure would. That, uh, I don't know that it's been resolved. Well, yeah, someone's on the hook for money somewhere there, right? So the original that, title insurance that would probably hmm. kick in something like they'd be insured. That's an interesting. Yeah, there's a mutual fraud protection now. on the title insurance policy. Yes. Well, someone needs to get fired wow. too. What a world! <laughs> because that's that. What that's a world! Bad. What a world! What a world! Well, that that agent should be on the hook for something too. That's you know we'll have absolutely. That's my point. Someone's got to do something there because. You know, uh, that's there's a lot of obviously the fraudsters need to go to jail. Um, that that couple that actually owned the house, both of them, both sets, um, uh, need to be compensated in some capacity. And the, even the buyers, I feel bad for the buyers because I, I bet you, unless they were part of the fraud, um, see, see in my point of that, view, as, I a, didn't... as a real estate agent, you referred like most if you have a successful business, you referred most of it. If you're not, it's a sign call or something right off the bat, you got to have your guard up, you know, like. 
Toronto's Can I buy different this house though, right yeah. here. It's, oh yeah, hundred percent. Well, Toronto's down here now. Let's not kid ourselves. It's very much down here. No, no, no not to the same extent. The it's, 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 on same, a, it's on a, it's a higher bath. scale in Toronto, but a lot of those practices yeah. have come down here. Well, but think about it, yes. right? Like yeah. if you're if you're used to doing forty transactions a year, let's say, then a new one, okay, great. You'll do a little extra due diligence right? You might not have the time to do it, but you're, Hey, this isn't normally how I get deals. But if you're only doing five transactions a year and now all of a sudden a multi-million dollar transaction comes across your desk, you know, like there in, in one of my private broker Facebook groups, there was uh, another broker that, that posted last week, shouldn't have woken up out of bed today, lost $70,000 in commission. Hmm. It's like who counts a commission check before it closes, it's earned. <laughs> no, right? It and unfortunately, realtors, mortgage professionals, sometimes advisors—they're counting yeah. the their, their checks before they come in. Yeah, yeah totally and it, it, it's Breachville right now, so that's that's a whole yeah. different podcast. We really got to do something on breaches because that's that's common practice right now. Listen, Kenny, stolen, uh, stolen signs. Our next, all of it. To everyone that's uh, that's watching and listening, uh, thanks again for for taking taking the time. And Mike and Frank, again, thank you so much. We'll definitely love to have you thanks on again. This this was awesome, um, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation, Brandon. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to leave us with a oh. Scotch recommendation from your uh, <laughs> from your rail behind. What uh, what do you want listeners to try? Which one's the emptiest? What's the emptiest Between one? Because that's the one you yeah. like. I have a ton. Oh, let's see. Oh, this is going to be a plug for his business. That looks like an Aberlure to me. It's either going to be a plug or it's Gretzky's. Oh. Oh, no, it's not. Okay. No. Rowan Co. It's the truth. Rowan Co. It's an Irish whiskey. Um, My neighbor got me onto it. Uh, It's super smooth. Very good. And I was actually on, I was actually on the line with, um, we have a, um, a call, like an IT call center in Ireland. And you just, you know, we just get start talking, yada, yada, yada. He's like, oh, have you ever had rolling coal? And I said, I got it on my back bar. I love it. Um, definitely uh, something really nice. Um, and always. The Irish whiskeys are amazing. Easy, easy Not an Irish whiskey, a Canadian sure. whiskey. Let's see. Niagara Falls Craft Distillers. The That's there. There's, there's the plug. plug. That's a nice bottle. <laughs> That's a nice bottle. Or nice even bottle. Hey, the, nice. uh, the maple whiskey. Where's the Diablo oh. or whatever? Hey, Niagara Falls Craft Distillers, the Maple Whiskey. That one's fantastic. The Maple Whiskey. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah. I we, know. I would have had a leg of in here. Weren't we voting on a bottle or something, Curry? Remember you had We were, say, yeah, the bottle design. Yeah. Whatever yeah, happened got, with that? that? Did that product not get out? Yeah, it's stuck in China right now. So kind of a bit bigger. Thanks, China. <laughs> Thanks, supply chain. Appreciate that. Thanks, supply chain. Thanks, COVID. Um, and uh, just for everyone that's listening, just two, just two quick things. Our next show is going to be on the 27th of January, so catch it um, when that goes. And then finally, um, the first ever Cryer Media event, the Ice Wine Gala Cool as Ice down in Niagara Falls at the Niagara Falls Power Station is tomorrow night at uh, 7 p.m. Sold out. Over 750 people are in attendance this is going to be amazing. Uh, Dean Blundell is going to be there. Chris Rook, who is our producer, Tim, is also going to be there uh, putting this all together. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, all the top chefs in Niagara, 
ice wine, regular wine. Are you going, Curry? Scotch. Hey. Are you going? Pop Pope Catholic? Absolutely. I'm gonna be going. <laughs> nice. I love wine more than uh represent. more than scotch. Yeah, I'd say I love my yeah, I love wine just because it's just like oh god, I love great wine. Great wine. Nectar of the gods. Anyways, Bondo, take us out. Help us help you stay informed. Out. Thanks, everybody. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.